1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Wake up. <laughs> okay. Um, I, as I was preparing this message, I, 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 um, I was very aware that the uh, election was going to be this weekend as well, and we'd, we'd probably be... Um, May, you know, waking up to, to hear how our, who our new Premier was or whether it's the same old one as before. And um, I think it's the same old one as before, isn't it? Um, so I sort of thought that today's message was going to be really relevant when it starts talking about honour the Emperor and, and the Governors and all this sort of stuff. And, um, but the reality is we're actually, I'm actually going to take two weeks to get through what we've just read. We're actually only really going to be covering the first slide this morning. Okay, so I've given today's message the title, Living as Citizens of the Kingdom of God in a Land Which is Hostile to God. Uh, in the very first sentence, for first verse of today's reading, we realise that disciples of Jesus are fighting a war. And for some of us, that might really pick our interest and we go, oh, yeah, those, those horrible, evil people out in the world and those evil social structures and political systems, yeah, we're at war with them. That's the way some people think. Uh, but if that's your reaction, then you're going to be very surprised with what Peter has to say over the next couple of weeks. You see, Peter is not highlighting any kind of war that we have with the world. What he's highlighting is the war that we have with what he calls the passions of the flesh. And the passions of the flesh are what wage war with our very own soul. And to yield to this enemy is to allow our very selves to be taken captive. So verse 11 begins with the word beloved. And now that can sort of been, seem like a seemingly benign sort of a word that we just just skip over, um, just read over it. But you know what? There's a lot of power in that word. That word carries a lot of power and a lot of encouragement for us. Because when Peter uses that word beloved, yeah, he probably does love those people that he's writing to, but Peter is one of the beloved. And you are the beloved. And I'm the beloved. This word carries all of the power and encouragement that it has because we're the beloved of God. Uh, and I reckon we could probably happily spend all morning reflecting on this, what it means to be the beloved of God. 
the privilege that it is, the, the honour of being the beloved of God, the calling that we have, our, our identity of who we are as the beloved of God. It, it impacts on, on the way that we face trials. It, it gives us confidence because we are the beloved of God and the hope, the joy, and just quite frankly, the delightful feeling that it is to be the beloved of God. And if there's anyone who's feeling a little bit miserable this morning or a little bit under pressure or a little bit depressed, maybe the only word that you need to hear today, the only word from the Bible reading and the only word from this message is that word beloved. Because that doesn't just renew the joy that we have in life. What a word. And as the beloved of God... One of Peter's themes that he keeps picking up through this letter is we are sojourners and exiles. And we've talked about this before. This world is not our home. That was a great kid's story. Ellen just does the best kid's stories, doesn't she? Fancy having your own passport. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's fantastic. And um, all right, so we've talked about this before. This world is not our home. It's our temporary place of residence. We're just passing through it because our real home is our heavenly home. It is to be with Jesus Christ in glory. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be bouncing around in clouds, right? Our heavenly home, heaven is going to descend to earth and the earth is going to be completely renewed and that's what it's going to be like. But the thing is, even though we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God, how we live today in this world in which, this physical world in which we live, matters a lot. You see, even though we're passing through this world, we are to live in this world as the citizens of the kingdom of God that we are. And so we don't behave in the same manner as those around us, right? That the, the standards of this world might change, but God does not change, and we live for him. And as we live as good citizens of the kingdom of God, you know what? In most respects, we will also be living as good citizens of Australia, or even better than good citizens of Australia. Now... Some people like to embrace some kind of a social gospel of reform or a revolutionary gospel uh, where under the guise of the gospel they rebel against the authorities and, and they rebel against everything that the nation represents to try and bring about a revolution. But I don't think Peter would have any of that, although he would have at one time. And, and that's a real testimony testimony to how God did his work in changing Peter. You see, Peter at one time had quite a revolutionary mind. It was Peter who, when they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He drew out his sword, and it wasn't just to wave at them a little bit and say, you stay away. Malchus could tell you that, because Malchus, the, the servant of the high priest, lost an ear. Now, if you think about it, how do you lose an ear when somebody's swinging a sword at you? Usually it's because they're aiming for your scone and you try to dodge and it just gets a glancing blow. 
blow. Um, Peter was trying to kill this bloke. You see, Peter, at one time, he had, had the attitude of, I am going to fight and kill for the sake of Jesus. But what did Jesus say? He told us not to live by the sword, didn't he? And so Peter went to fight to the death for Jesus to be a good citizen for Jesus. Now that is an enormous turnaround. And that's the sort of transformational work that God can do in a life. And he didn't just change his attitude because all of a sudden his society became Christianized. In fact, it was far from it. And we talked about this in the first couple of weeks of this letter as we're getting a bit of a picture of what, what kind of a atmosphere and, and, and culture these people were living in. Christians were being targeted. Christians were being persecuted. Christians were being victimised. They were being slandered, abused and murdered. And it was happening from the top down. It, it, it started out with the, the emperors and the governors to the populace and, and the Christians were hated by all of them. And it's in this context that Peter is saying, be a good citizen. And that's a bit of a tough call. I don't know about you, when I, but when I sort of think about, you know, what, what, what would I do if I was living in a country where, you know, Christianity was outlawed and Christians were hated and they were being killed? I, I, I have, I'm naturally wired to think, wow, all of the years of roof shooting might pay off, you know? But I don't think God wants us to start shooting for the sake of the gospel. And so it's in this context that, that Peter's saying, be a good citizen. Now, that to me sounds like something that Jesus would have said. After all, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Anyway, we'll, we'll, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves and we'll talk about that more, uh, not next week, but the week after. Peter is urging his readers to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Right? So what's that? What, what are these passions of the flesh? Some, some people will probably hear that and go, ooh, well, that's got to be sexual sin, obviously. Well, it would include that. Uh, but the passions of the flesh are much more than that. You know what? Your flesh, the passions of your flesh are drawing you to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do. Um, it's that part of us which even as committed Christians, we struggle with. It's that part of us which constantly continues to tempt us to do wrong. The Jewish rabbis used to call it the, the Yetzirah. It's the inclination to do evil and to violate the will of God. It's the picture that I... I I really identify with Paul um, in, in one spot where he wrote, you know, I, I find I, I do not do what I want to do, but I, but I do do what I don't want to do. You know that section? It, it sounds really hard to understand, but I understand it because that's, that's my life. Now, to explain this, I, I actually find the theology of Walt Disney quite helpful. Right? So, you ever seen the cartoon of Donald Duck? And um, Donald Duck will, uh, up on one shoulder, will pop an angelic Donald Duck. 
And up on the other shoulder pops this devilish Donald Duck. And the, the angelic one is telling Donald, do, you know, do the right thing. You know, do, t- t- encouraging him to, to, to do the right thing and the moral thing and the good thing. But on the other shoulder, we've got the devilish Donald Duck telling him, no, 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 you need to do this, you need to do this. And, and sometimes it ends up with the devilish one strangling the, uh, the angelic one. And, and, of course, Donald being the sort of duck that Donald is, he goes and does the wrong thing. Right? You, you know the scene. Have you seen cartoons like that? Sometimes it might be Goofy. Sometimes it might be Homer Simpsons. It's various, various cartoon characters. What this is, the, the devilish Donald Duck is what Peter's talking about. It's the inclination that we have for evil. It is this inner battle that's going on inside of us. And I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated with myself. Oh, you, you get frustrated with me too. Okay, right. Um, no, that's not what I meant. What I mean is you might get frustrated with yourself as well. I get frustrated with myself because I have been a Christian for decades. And for all those years, I have lived with the hope that I might just happen to grow out of this inclination to evil that I have as I continue to walk with God. You know what? I haven't. I haven't. And, and of course, you might find that really hard to believe because you all think I'm so holy and wonderful. And, um, but if, if you really know me, you know I'm not. Some people like to think that we're born good and that we learn to do evil or we become evil because of the circumstances around us. But I reckon... It's the, actually the other way around. And all parents should know this. Um, I never had to teach my kids to hoard toys, but I did have to teach them to share. I, I never had to teach them to demand food when they're hungry, but I did have to teach them to have patience. I, I've never had to teach my children to, to put themselves first, but I did have to teach them to put others first. And that's because... We're actually born with this inclination to be evil. And this is what we're at war with. Even as the saved, even as the redeemed, you and I are at war with the passions of the flesh. And if I let my passions drive my behaviour, I've lost the war. And that's why I get really disturbed when I hear some people telling us that, yeah, God will, when they're talking about ministry or serving God or whatever, God will only ever call you to what you're passionate about. You've heard people say that? He will only ever call you to what you're passionate about. Rubbish. How many people are passionate about, oh, I want to die for Jesus? Yeah, and yet there are many, many Christians throughout the world today who are called to be martyrs for Christ simply by being obedient to him. Usually, our passions are what we have to battle with. And it's interesting, he uses here the term passions of the flesh. We, we do have passions of the spirit. That's where God gives us a passion for, for doing something, a, a ministry that he's calling us to. But I th- actually think most of the time when we think about these things, we actually get confused between passions of the flesh and passions of the spirit. 
And we, we want to do what feels good. We want to do what's easy. We want to do what's going to bring us glory. We want to do whatever. Um, whereas God calls us to be humble servants and not satisfying the passions of our flesh. And I think that's why Peter gives us a command. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, you know what that means? It means don't do it. Don't participate in it. You are going to be tempted, just like, like I'm tempted. And we'll get tempted in all sorts of ways. And in these times of temptation, abstain. Don't do it. Don't take part in it. And we're going to see some practical ways to apply that more shortly. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. Right, now when, when Peter's talking about the Gentiles, the, the Greek word there is actually ethnesen. And yes, it's a word from which we get our word ethnic. So it might give you a bit of an idea of what it's about. Okay, so to the Jews... The Gentiles were the people who weren't Jews. They were of other nationalities, of other ethnicities. In Peter's world, they were generally heathens, pagans, worshipping other gods or worshipping no gods, though what the people of other nations did. Basically, he's talking about how when we live among pagans, when we live among the godless, okay? And what he's saying is as disciples of Jesus, as the people of God, how we live among the godless matters. And I, I hope you understand, I hope you realise that the culture that we live in is essentially a godless culture. I know there's a lot of people who still have the, the attitude that Australia is a Christian nation. It is not. Right? So there was a time when, when Australia could be classed as Christendom, where we, our society was largely gauged by and, and directed by Christianised values and whatnot. That doesn't mean that everybody were Christians. But we've now come into what's known as post-Christendom, um, where people largely reject Christianity and they think they're being progressive by doing that. Right? So... Our culture is, in Australia is essentially a godless culture. Uh, our culture opens the door for all sorts of beliefs, all sorts of philosophies, all sorts of religions. Um, but there is one religion that it is, our culture seems to be more disposed against, and that's Christianity. Uh, the Christian God, above all, seems to be despised, rejected, disparaged, ridiculed. And so our culture is largely a godless culture. And so what Peter's saying here is really relevant for us. And when we are living among the godless, temptation often gets stronger, doesn't it? There'll be things that you're not tempted to do when you're in this fellowship here. But when you get out with, with people out in the world, when you get out with the godless who behave in a very different way, you'll have a whole heap of different temptations. The passions of the flesh get all that much harder to battle because we're living amongst a people who don't battle it. And in fact, they embrace it. 
And so you might be someone who maybe you're not tempted to, to swear and use foul language when you're here at church. But when you get out amongst people who, who are swearing and using foul language, well, you might just slip right on in and drop a few F-bombs here and there and say some words that would make your mother's hair curl. Or you might be somebody who, well, you're never going to get drunk at a, at a church function, but when you get out with, with your mates and they're all getting drunk, you'll probably have a few too many. Or you might get into coarse joking Laugh along with your mates because they're telling coarse jokes and, hey, you, you know a few, so you tell a few to, to get people laughing and because you just want to fit in and you want to be liked. Or you might even start belittling others. When you're amongst people who are just tearing somebody down, well, you can be good at that too and just tear somebody down. Or elevating your own importance, putting yourself first, doing that out in the world. Or it might come when you're deciding whether you're going to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. After all, everybody out in the world's doing it now. Hardly anybody bothers getting married before they, before they shack up together. Why, why should you be any different? You see, the passions of the flesh are harder to battle when we're running with a crowd who are doing this stuff. And yet, it is in this very setting that Peter says... Keep your conduct among those godless pagans honourable. Why? Well, it might surprise you why. He says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, I'm going to have to unpack that. that there's a lot in that. When most of us read that, we might come away with the opinion, oh, okay, so I'll live as a really good person and when the godless see the good life that I live, they'll want to become Christians too. That's what it must mean to give God glory. Well, how's that working out for you? How many people have sort of looked at your good way of life and gone, well, I need to become a Christian too. It happens, but really. When I was living in Brisbane, going because we're at Bible College, um, in our local church, I was leading a young adults Bible study group. And one night in that young adults Bible study group, because at that stage I sort of was a young adult, um, yeah, I was once. Um, but we're talking about how we do or don't share our faith. And there was young one young fellow there, and I love him to bits. He was a great fellow, but he said to me quite unashamedly. I don't tell anyone about Jesus. I said, why not? He said, well, the way I live my life is my testimony. And, and they'll just see and they'll know. Now, if you boil that down and think about it, you know what I was hearing? Pride. Pride. How prideful is that? Now, I love this bloke. But what he's saying is, I'm so well-behaved, I'm such a good, godly example of a Christian, all people have to do is look at my life and they'll know that they'll have to give their hearts to Jesus too. Well, I'm just going to say, if it didn't work out for Jesus, it probably not working out so well for him and won't work out so well for us either. It does happen, but rarely. But I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. 
There are two separate time points in that sentence. One is today and the other is the day of judgment, the day that Jesus returns. Peter calls it the day of visitation. Right? So two different time points and different things happen at those two different time points. Right? So the first time point is today. What's happening today? He says that he tells us that they speak evil against the disciples of Jesus as evildoers. Right? We you get this? In a godless world, it's actually the Christians who get painted as the baddies. It seems like the whole world's been turned on its head. But that's the way it was back in back in Peter's culture. You see, in their culture, the Christians People hated them, and so they'd accuse them of all sorts of things and slander them. Like they'd accuse them of being cannibals. You know why? Because they ate the body and the blood of this bloke called Jesus. They accuse them of being incestuous. You know why? It's because they called each other brother and sister, and yet they were married to each other. What? They're accused of having orgies. You know why? Because they had these things called love feasts where they would get together and, and um, fellowship together and share the Lord's Supper together. They were accused of being insurrectionists. That means that they wanted to try and overthrow the government. You know why? Because they wouldn't honour the emperor by worshipping him. The emperor, he wanted to be worshipped as a god and the Christians were the only ones who wouldn't do it. And, of course, they were the ones who were accused of setting the fire that burned Rome. Right? So that's the sort of thing that Christians were being accused of then. And it happens today as well. It's the disciples of Jesus who get painted as the baddies. I personally have been accused of intolerance. It seems like out of all of the virtues, that's the main one the world wants us to have today is the, the virtue of tolerance. Well, interesting, interestingly, tolerance is never put out as a virtue in the Bible. That's a humanistic top, uh, virtue. Uh, but I, was acu- I get accused of intolerance because when I teach from the scriptures, I don't try and change God's word. I just teach what the Bible says and what God says in his word. Um, I've been accused of hate speech for the same reason, simply because I share God's word and somebody disagrees with it. They say, well, you hate me. I don't hate you. And Christians get denigrated as supporting slavery. Now, this is, this is slander. You, you Christians, you support slavery because there's slavery in the Bible and, and God allowed it. Therefore, you support slavery. Um, mind you, there's probably a few farmers' sons about the place who know all about slavery. Um, I was probably one of them. But they just look over the whole fact that it was actually a Christian movement that actually outlawed slavery. Christians get accused of supporting the murder of those that we disagree with. This just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But this is the sort of accusations that get thrown at us. Why? Because in the Bible, execution is prescribed, is the prescribed punishment for certain sins. And so therefore they say, well, you Christians, you just, you just want to kill anybody you disagree with. We get 
called human rights deniers because we try and say, no, you shouldn't kill your unborn child. Um, and they say, well, who are you? You are denying my rights. And I'm pretty sure you would have heard this saying, it is so common for people to say, most wars are fought over religion. You've heard people say that? And they use that as an excuse to paint Christians as warmongers. It's not only, though, it's not only um, non-religious and atheists that, that accuse Christians of this stuff as well. It also comes from other religions. So Muslims, for instance, look at the so-called Christian West, right? So they, they, they have an outlook that, that, the, that the Western system is Christian. Uh, we know that it's not, but they believe that it is. And they see adultery, they see homosexuality, they see infanticide, and they say, there you go, that's what Christians do. Um, and they accuse us of being like that. Uh, but of course, it's the Christians who have turned away from these things and turned to God. Christians cop it from all sides, and we get blamed for the sins of others. Um, probably the most topical hatred of Christians at the moment in, in our culture, in our country, is to do with pedophilia, right? So a few pedophiles have done some horrible things in the church, and all Christians seem to get tarred with the same brush. So, oh, if that's the Christian church, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, I want you to hear that's not the Christian church. That is evil, that is satanic, and hopefully it's getting rooted out of the Christian church. And yet this is all false. It, it's ridiculous, isn't it? They, they speak against us and they accuse us of being evildoers. And it's happening today. And when you think about yourself, you think about how God has changed you. It lets you know how ridiculous this is. I know what I would be like without Jesus. And... Um, I would be a far worse person than what I am now because God has been doing a work in my heart for many years now and I'm pretty sure I'd be a nasty, pretty nasty piece of work if it wasn't for Jesus. But when all of this false accusations and everything happens, Peter doesn't tell us to fight back. He tells us to keep our conduct among the heathens honourable. Why? So that they will see our good deeds. You know, often it's when we abstain from the fleshly desires, that's actually what makes the godless hate us more. Uh, when we don't do what they're doing, they feel judged. We don't have to say a word. Uh, and when we are doing good deeds and they're not doing good deeds, they realise how far they're falling short. And in most cases, they don't admire us for it. They just hate us all the more. The godless love it when a disciple of Jesus yields to the flesh and falls into sin. Um, I can think of times when well-known Christians um, have been caught out in some horrible sin 
and it seems that people of the world are almost gleeful. Yeah, we knew that, yep, that's, we're happy they've been caught out. Now, th this might be a bit of a silly example, but I think I might have told this before, I don't know, but when I was a student at the Ag College, uh, one of the boys in my dorm, he hated the fact that I didn't swear. And he made it his mission to try and teach me to swear. And to my shame, after a bit, I actually went along with it. And after a bit of coaching, I managed to string four words together in a row. And, you see, I, I, I did it making a bit of a joke out of it. But I say this to my shame. Because what are we supposed to do when we get made out to be the baddies? Live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And I want to be really clear here. This, this isn't about casting judgment upon everybody else. That's not our role. Some people, some Christians get the view, okay, for me as a Christian, my job is to condemn you. That's not what Peter's saying here. He's telling us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. It's about how we personally live according to the values of God's kingdom. Now, I said this last week, and I think I'm going to be saying it quite often. Um, it's really um, interesting to catch the little glimpses of where Peter is obviously remembering some teaching of Jesus. Right? So Peter had the privilege of walking with Jesus for all those years of his ministry and learning from Jesus. And we'd be disappointed, wouldn't we, if we were reading a letter that Peter wrote and he didn't share with us some gems of what Jesus taught. Well, here comes another one. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? So that's what Jesus said. Now, this is what Peter said. I reckon he must have been remembering what Jesus said. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and even though sometimes... Some Christians might get a little bit of recognition for their good deeds. It doesn't often equate to the godless giving glory to God, does it? When's the last time you did something really good and a really godless person gave glory to God because of it? Can anyone remember a time? They haven't? I tell you what, they will. They will. Which brings us to the second point in time. We've only been talking thus far about what happens today, right? So the false accusations against us are happening today. Uh, we live as good citizens and we live honourably in a godless world. That happens today. And now we come to the second point of time on the day of visitation. Now... Many of us will know that Bible verse that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? We know, we know this verse. When's that going to happen? And what's it talking about? Is that verse talking, is that verse telling us that 
Every single person is going to come to a saving faith in Jesus. Is that what it's saying? Sadly, no. It's talking about the day of judgment. When Jesus returns and the dead shall be raised, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Those who are disciples of Jesus will be raised to life. And those who have rejected God and and who have rejected the salvation of God through his son will fall to their knees. Oh no, what have I done? Jesus is Lord. And I rejected him. And now it's too late. But he's Lord. You see, it's not a confession that's going to save them because it's too late by then. They've had their chance to be born anew and to give their lives to God, but they've rejected him. And that's a choice we all have. But God will be glorified when they confess that their judgment from God is justified. Let me explain that. When Peter wrote that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, he he wasn't making up that phrase. He was referring back to an incident that happened in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 7. There was a man among Israel who had disobeyed God. And he wouldn't own up to it. And things had gone awry. And God said, it's because there's someone in your midst who's done this wrong thing. And so they knew there was someone in Israel who's done the wrong thing. And they went through the tribes. And they went through until they eventually came to this man. And God said, this is the one. He's the one who's done it. And so God revealed who it was. And when he was found out, and just before he was executed for his crime, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to Yahweh God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And he spilled his guts. And he he can... I, I don't mean... You know what I mean. He just confessed everything. He confessed everything that he'd done. See, he knew that nothing was hidden before God. And he knew that he deserved the punishment that he was about to get because he had deliberately gone against the word of the Lord. And so God was glorified by him confessing what he had done and Therefore, owning up that God is just in his judgment. And this is the image that Peter's using here. He's using the same language. Even the ungodly will give God glory because their judgment is justified. And so on the day of judgment, on the day of visitation, God will be glorified when justice is served. Now, some people really rebel against that. 
thought, with this thought of judgment. But if you think about the way things happen in our courts today, what do we think of a judge who, who doesn't condemn the guilty? We get up in arms. This is wrong. They should have judged correctly. And when a judge does give a just judgment, we honour that judge because of it. And on that day, those who have rejected God will glorify God for the good deeds that they observe Christians doing. That they will be confronted with their bias against God and, and with all of the false accusations that they've made against Christians over the years. But there's a word in, in the English language that we don't use a whole lot anymore. It's the word vindication. Some of you may not even have heard of that word. Vindication. What that means is will be proved to be right. right. The slander will be revealed for the slander that it is and we will be justified. And on the day of judgment, God's people will be vindicated. All of the false accusations that's been thrown at them will be shown up for what they are, false. All of the ridicule, all of the mocking that we've received over the years. You know, the sort of mocking, oh, you're an idiot to be a Christian. What kind of a simpleton are you? Right? All of this, they're going to have to eat their words and they will know that they are wrong. And they will know that Jesus is Lord. And so God's people will be vindicated. And in this judgment and in the vindication of his people, God will be given glory, even by those who are being judged. <sighs> you know what? This has turned into a rather sobering message for me. And I need to remind you at this point that these are words which are written to the beloved. Right? Remember, we start out with that word, beloved. And as the beloved of God, we have a real mixture of emotions, don't we, as we consider the day of judgment. For... On one side of the coin, as the beloved of God, we really look forward to the return of Jesus. And we look forward to the vindication that we will have and the reward and the culmination of what we have looked forward to for the whole time that we've been disciples of Jesus. We look forward to this. And as the beloved, it's going to be a time of great joy, but... But also, as we look forward to this day, we're filled with sadness, aren't we? We're filled with sadness that many will continue to reject God right through until the day of visitation. And it's okay to feel that sadness. In fact, it's godly to feel that sadness. Because if I'm not sad, about those who reject God, then I'm not like my Heavenly Father. And that's why we have to live as good citizens of the Kingdom of God and not just as good citizens of Australia. 
And we've got to face the fact that, yep, our, our good deeds probably won't convert anyone. But the power of God's word will. Peter told us right back in chapter 1 that the good news was preached to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the word by which we are born again. And so as good citizens of the kingdom of God, we also share the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone who's willing to listen. Because we love them so much, we, we cannot remain silent. And these two things have to go together. Right back in chapter 1, he was telling us about the, the power of God's word, the word which is preached, and, and that's the word by which we're born again. But now he's telling us that as those who are born again, this is how we should live. And we don't do one without the other. We don't share the gospel without living as the people of God. And we don't just live as people of the God without sharing the gospel because the two go together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that was preached to us. We thank you for the life of obedience that you've called us to. And Lord, we ask that that when the world would slander us or ridicule us or malign us, that you would give us strength and resolve to live honourably in this world who reject you and who hate your children, knowing that they hate us because they hated you first. And Lord, we look forward to the day of visitation. We look forward to that day when Jesus will return, when your people will be vindicated and even the godless on their knees will glorify you. But Lord, until that day, help us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord who saves. Amen.